So tonight we want to continue looking at what we teach about God and specifically what we teach about God the Father. So the handouts that I was supposed to bring last week, I did actually remember them tonight. So they are on your tables. So you can reference that as to what we teach. So I'll begin with what we teach about God the Father. I'm going to read the paragraph, the entire paragraph, and then we'll kind of walk through it uh, line by line together. Now, what we teach about God the Father. We, we teach that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, orders and disposes all things according to his own purpose and grace. He is the creator of all things. As the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe, he is sovereign in creation, providence, and redemption. His fatherhood involves both his designation within the Trinity and his relationship with mankind. As creator, he is father to all men, but he is spiritual father only to believers. He has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass. He continually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and events. In his sovereignty, he is neither the author nor approver of sin, nor does he abridge the accountability of moral, intelligent creatures. He has graciously chosen from eternity past those whom he would have as his own. He saves us from all sin. He saves from sin all who come to him through Jesus. He adopts as his own those who come to him, and he becomes, upon adoption, father to his own. So let's just kind of work our way through the rich truths that this statement uh, announces and summarizes. First, the first is that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, orders and disposes all things according to his own purpose. So there. For that, we could turn to Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Psalm 145, 8 and 9. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Yahweh is good to all, and his compassions are over all his works. He is, he is good to all. He is good even... To, the, to those who never believe in him, to those who rebel against him. He is, he is good to all. And you know, for those of, here tonight who might not recognize the words Yahweh, that is, uh, that is God's name. So most English translations use the, the word Lord. They translate that with the word Lord, and they recognize that with capital, capital letters used in, in that, but his, it's really his name is Yahweh. That's the name by which he reveals himself. So I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, uh, which is one of the, not the only one that, that translates his name, but it's one of the few. Also think about 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verses four to six. Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So again, just emphasizing the fact that there is, there is one God who orders all things according to his purpose. By definition, God must be sovereign or he is not God. He can be many things if he is, he's not sovereign, but he cannot be God if he is not sovereign. Um, 
God is the creator of all things. And here, just, just to reiterate the importance of this, uh, Genesis 1, you can turn there or listen as I read it. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formed and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then, then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and also the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, beast of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created him in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given to you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of, of, the earth, of all the earth, and every tree which has the fruit of the tree yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, 
and to everything that creeps on the ground which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. And on the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because he rested from all his work, which God had created in making it. And I think it's important for us to read passages, even lengthier passages like that, just to drill it in our heads, because that, that God is our creator of everything. You're going to hear something very different, and you have, from your schools and from the world. So it's good for us just to go back and remind ourselves that God is our creator. He's the creator of all things. Um, the New Testament affirms us. It's not as if you can you can just take Genesis 1 and set it to the side and say, well, maybe it's, it's poetry or there's some kind of lengthy process involved. There's not, but it's, it's more than just, it's more than just um, Genesis. Ephesians chapter 3 verifies that God created all things. Ephesians 3, there, the Apostle Paul says in, in verse, beginning of verse 8, he says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light for all what is the administration of the mystery for which, uh, of the mystery for which ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So even the Apostle Paul tells us that God created all things. So God is the creator of all things. God is the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe. He is sovereign in creation and providence and redemption. What does omnipotent mean? Our kids are back there in the the classroom, so you have to pass the test. Or I'll tell them you can't. What does omni mean? Right? Maybe not. Yeah. All around. It, it basically means all. All. And potent. It's not a word we use frequently, but it means what? Powerful. powerful. Right? He is all powerful. There's absolutely nothing outside his power. Um, and there's several other attributes of God. that omni, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresent. All those go together. Uh, but but this particular statement is talking about his his omnipotence as the ruler of the universe. So not only is he the creator, but he is the creator who rules over everything. As R.C. Sproul used to say, there's not one rebellious molecule in the entire universe. Right? And that's true. God rules over it all. Uh, he, here, uh, you could turn to passages like Psalm 103, verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So absolutely, positively, everything is under his rule. Paul says this um, in Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor 
or who has first given to him that it might be repaid to him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So that phrase, for from him and through him and to him are all things. It's just a summation, a, a summarizing way to say God controls it all for his glory, for his good, for his purposes. Uh, the next statement says, God's fatherhood involves both his designation within the Trinity and his relationship with mankind. As creator, he is father to all men, but he is spiritual father only to believers. And that touches on the passage um, in Ephesians. Um, in his case, Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So God is Father of all. There's a sense in which he is Father of all human beings because he created them. Uh, but he is also Father especially of those who have faith in Christ on a special way. Uh, Romans 8, 14 tells us that. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So there's a special sense in which God is the father of believers. Uh, Paul talks about this, uh, really the promise that God would be father to those who, who believe in, in the, the son. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, and this is uh, Paul, but he's, he's quoting, here he's, he's referencing 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So it's his desire to be our heavenly father, to draw us in. As we're going to talk about on Sunday in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, about how the Lord has predestined us to adoption. So it's his, his design. Um, and, and these things are so so, in a sense, they're common because we think about fathers. Some are not so great. But your heavenly father is perfect. And to be a child of the most high God, the almighty, the omnipotent one, the one who created everything, is a, is a truth that we really need to spend a bit more time meditating on and thinking about what a, what a gift the Lord has given us by making us his children by, by faith in Jesus Christ. So I just want to pause a minute just to pray and thank God for doing that. So if you would just join me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, thank you so much for, for making yourself our Father. First of all, creating us, but secondly, by redeeming us through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that for everyone who has faith in you, you give them the right to become children of God. That that by trusting in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins, you redeem us and draw us to yourself and make us children of God. Lord, sons and daughters of the Most High God, Lord, help us to, to just better understand these things and really apply them to our lives as we go about our everyday lives and sometimes get discouraged. Help us to meditate on these wonderful truths, this wonderful gift that you have given to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And, and I, I appreciate uh, when I was taught some, a class by Andy Nacelli uh, about a year and a half ago, that when he was teaching theology, he would just pause 
and just pray and thank God for those truths. And so I like that model, so I'm, I'm trying to do that more because I, I think otherwise sometimes we just hear these things and we just let them go in one ear and out the other or we don't respond appropriately to them. So that, that's why I'm doing that. Now I want to pause a minute like I've done before and, and get you thinking, try to get you thinking rather than just hearing me. How is God worthy of our praise? He is, but how is he? Just in the things that you've heard tonight. You can go outside the bounds of what you heard tonight, but even in the things you heard tonight. How is he worthy of our praise? He's the creator of all. He didn't have to create. He was under no obligation to create. At one point, I think growing up, or I don't know if I was taught this or I just came to this misunderstanding as a child, I thought that God was lonely and needed fellowship. He, he doesn't need fellowship. He never, like he had the fellowship within the Trinity, one God, three persons. Again, it's a mystery. It's hard to understand. But God didn't create us because he needed anything. He created us for his glory. So yeah, we praise him because he's the creator. What else? What are the reasons? Why is God worthy of our praise? He's communicated to us. Okay, he's commuted himself to us. Okay. So in order for us to, to be adopted as sons, he has to communicate himself to us. He has to reveal himself to us. He has to condescend to make himself, to communicate on our level uh, so that we would understand him. And ultimately, he would have to condescend to the point of becoming uh, uh, incarnate, taking on human flesh and becoming man and, uh, and to, to redeem us from our sins so that he could adopt us. Because there would be no adoption without redemption. Um, that's good. What else? Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So he's the giver of all good things. Like every, every good thing comes from him. Even the things you may not, you may not even think of. You, he gives you so many good things you don't even pray for. He just gives them to you. And he gives rain on the unrighteous and the righteous. He just pours his goodness out upon his creation and upon the righteous. And when I say the righteous, I don't mean the self-righteous. I'm talking about is those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Those have the, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those have an especial abundance of blessings. Not always experienced in this world, but blessings that transcend our lives, which sometimes can be very difficult in this world, especially for God's children. What else? Yes, Betsy. Yeah. Yeah. So the omnipotent God of the universe who created everything desires a relationship with you. You are not a number with God. He doesn't need your social security number. He knows you. He knows you well, far better than you ever know yourself. No other leader of the universe of the world will know you better than he does, and he cares for you. Yes, um, Charity. Another thing is, I listened to a sermon recently, and it talked about 
how the angels worship and adore the Lord. And and with the angels, obviously, he, like, the Lord did not send Christ to redeem them. So it's completely apart from that, even that relational, but they, that he created the angels. And Correct. the magnitude of that, and that seeing the relationship of how even the angels adore him because of who he is and grandeur and glory. Correct. Yeah, this the... Uh passages of scripture that talk about the angels worshiping God as the elect angels. We talked about election. So people aren't the only elected ones. There are elect angels as well, but for the fallen angels, there are, there's no redemption. And so the elect angels ponder these things and just to them, they, I think they are just blown away by the fact that the God of the universe whom they can see in all his glory condescended to save human beings. So it's it just, again, to the praise of his glory. They, they see the contrast much clearer than we do. So thank you for bringing that up. Why is, let me just transition a little bit. Why is the Father, the first person of the Trinity, why is he revealed as the Father? We're, we're probing a little bit in areas where it's difficult to understand. Why is the Father called the Father? The Father begets the idea of protection, vision, care. Now that's how we see it on That's true. Yeah, the Father provides protection and, and care, provides, protects. All that, that's true, and that's true of God as well. Well, there is a relationship with the Son. So what we know about the Trinity is relational. So you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there is a connection there. But in what sense? Christ being the image of the invisible God and showing submission to him. Show us how to submit to our Father above. Absolutely. The, the second person of the Trinity is the image of God. Right? And has relayed that relayed that to us. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. He's a perfect model of love. That's true. But again, does that necessitate the word Father be used? Yes. Source of life. He is the source of life. That is ultimately, I think, why he's called the Father. He is the giver of all life. I mean, not in the biological, he's, he's not the father of the son, the second person of the Trinity, biologically. But um, he is the giver of all life. Um, one, of the, one of the ancient creeds, uh, this is the Athanasian Creed, and it, it's like a commentary, it's not scripture, but it's, it's like a commentary. It says, the father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. So nowhere in the scriptures are we told that the Father is begotten. But we are told that the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, but nor begotten, but proceeding. 
These are very carefully chosen words to describe to describe the Trinity. Uh, so that there is, and it continues saying that so there is one Father, not three fathers; one Son, not three sons; one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is a four, meaning none is more important or after another. None is greater and or less than the other. There is nothing before or after, nothing greater or less, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as foresaid, the unity in the Trinity and the Trinity in the unity is to be worshipped. So essentially, the Father is called the Father because he is the giver of all life. The Son, the Son receives his life in an eternal sense from the Father. He's not created. So there's a lot of mistakes because in our minds we don't we think biologically. And so you think a father, you know, begot be getting a son or a daughter in the in the biological sense. That's not what scripture is saying, that's what the Mormons teach. That so we're not saying that. What we're saying is the son eternally uh, is of the father, and he has always been the son. He did not adopt sonship upon the incarnation. He's always been the son. And we'll get to the son more in the next section. Here, just the father. I want to read a a section um, uh, from Michael Reeves' uh, book on delighting in the Trinity, which is a helpful little book, Explain the Trinity. He says, "If, if if before all things God was eternally a father, then this God is an inherently outgoing, life-giving God. He did not give life for the first time when he decided to create. From eternity, he has been life-giving. This loving, life-giving characteristic is the Father's most fundamental identity, unquote. So Michael Reeves, uh, Delighting in the Trinity. It's a good, helpful little, little book trying to explain what we can understand from, from the scriptures. So let me just pause there and see if there are questions. So either I've made it really clear or I've thoroughly confused you. And I would say the latter. The Father, God, the first person of the Trinity is revealed as the Father because he is the giver of all life. And that's easy for us to understand because he's the creator. He is the one who initiates. He is the one who, who elects, as we learned from Ephesians 1, verse 4. So he's, he's that initiator. Where it's difficult for us to understand is when it comes to his relationship with the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But even then, he is life-giving to the Son in an eternal sense. The Son was never created, but he was begotten. That, that is clear from Scripture. He's begotten, not created. And you want me to go beyond that? I cannot. Because scripture does not. So that we, we push, we, we try to explore scripture to the extent scripture is revealed. And there, then there's just, there's a limit of which we, we can't press beyond. And otherwise it's just all speculation. And we run the risk of creating a God in our own image. So we have to stop where scripture stops. So, Keith. Uh, this is, this is kind of cool about the scripture. <clears throat> There are points where the scripture's talking about Christ, Father, and the Spirit separately, but then other passages where 
the the fact that Trinity is talked about as as just the one God, and that the interesting um, Romans Romans eleven thirty six closes closes that chapter with or from him and through him and to him are all things. But we're we're told that the Father is the from and the Spirit, or I'm sorry, and Christ is the through in another passage. Correct. But then here it's just one. This is all God. So right. as we think about God the persons, the Bible constantly brings us back to the mystery of the fact that there's just one God. Correct. That that it just it blows the mind. Yes, it does. Yeah, if you feel like, wow, I don't, I don't think I can understand that, join the company. <laughs> you're, you're on the club. Because that's exactly where we're at. Which says what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. That's right. Proverbs three, four, five, and six. I mean, you just, you just, come, it really does come back to that. It's, it's trusting, trusting God's word. With that, I I will butcher the quote, so I'm going to paraphrase. But one of the one of the church fathers, they say that one of the one of the ancients who is a, a teacher in the church. When I was studying on the lessons on the Trinity and preparing for that, so it's in my message back then, but I don't remember who said it. But but he was just blown away by kind of what what Keith was saying. He said, as I think about the three, I can't help but to think about the ones. Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as I think about the individual persons, then I'm drawn back to the one. And you know, it's it's the you know, each of them reflects the whole God, and yet they're not three persons as we think about it. There's not a better term than persons, but we have to understand that, that the English word person and even the Greek word person doesn't adequately describe who we're talking about. These, the, 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 the Son, the, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are separate and yet one. They're not modes of each other. It's not modalism. It's the God sometimes appears as the Father, sometimes as, as the Son, sometimes uh, as the Spirit, but it's three persons yet, yet one God. And it's very difficult to understand but these things are revealed clearly to us in the, in the scriptures. Other other questions, comments. We 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 have a little discussion going on here, just for clarity. Um, the question was whether the Holy Spirit ever has the word begotten assigned to him, and the answer to that was no. Correct. The Holy Spirit is never said to be begotten. begotten. He's not begotten. He proceeds. Meaning sent forth from the Father, and we would add from the Son. I think there's, there's good evidence in scriptures to support that. There's a big controversy in church history over does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father or from the Father and the Son? I think and the Son is, meets the scriptural data. Um, Jesus so. says, I am sending. Correct. Uh, and I, that, that I, can, I think that's what I lean on. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. And again, we. You, you are like me, probably wanting to know more. We'll get, perhaps we'll get more in heaven. But, just, you know, we'll be satisfied in whatever God reveals to us. What we do know is that he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Yeah.
Other questions, comments? Yeah. Um, might have Anthony. Put like an exploding head emoji somewhere in the back. <laughs> <laughs> exploding head emoji, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just coming, just coming back. Just got to go back to the Word of God. Uh, I was talking or emailing back and forth with someone who um, had a bit of a crisis of faith. Uh, he was realizing that there that so for some big events in the Bible, like the sun going backwards, there's absolutely no historical data in the history books to support any such thing in any of the cultures. And he found that very disturbing. That such a big worldwide event would be absolutely missed by all the cultures of the world, uh, the other cultures that were alive at the time. And I told him, he, he was a little bit frustrated by that, and I said, well, I said, maybe your frustration is exposing the fact that you expect God to leave evidence like extra biblical evidence to validate his word. You have an expectation of God, so you're actually standing in judgment of God that, that you think you know better, that he should have left extra biblical data. When I say extra biblical, I mean outside the scriptures, that God should have left more data to support his word. What that reveals is a lack of trust in the word of God. And ultimately, there are times when your faith is rattled. You want to see a prophet with his faith rattled? Go to Habakkuk. His faith was, was absolutely, positively rattled. So believers sometimes have their faith rattled by things they can't understand, like the Trinity. And sometimes that's rattling because you can't understand them. But the issue is, the issue for believers is when our faith is rattled, we don't just give up and give up the word. As you'll see if you read Habakkuk, he, he just really just, just falls at his feet before God and says, you're God and I'm nothing. You know, God is going to do things in a very unexpected way because he is not like us. And that includes the Trinity. The Trinity is proof that the God of the Bible is not made up by man. Because if it was made up by man, there would be detail, there would be explanations for everything. But there's not. We just don't have them. And so when you go through kind of a life rattling situation, don't let it, don't let it panic you to jettison the truth. These trials will come, but they are intended by God to strengthen your faith. And as you go back and realize the trustworthiness of God's word, he will carry you through it. I mean, it just happens in life. I mean, think about the apostle Peter. God didn't do what he thought God was going to do. What I mean by that is Peter thought there would be an earthly kingdom right then. So much so that Peter was ready to pick up a sword and die. Well, sort of. He denied Christ later, but he did take up a sword. He wasn't very good with it. Um, we don't know for sure, but it seems like he was trying to cut off the, somebody's head and he only got their ear, um, which, is, which is good, but... The point of it is, 
God does things unexpected. And I say that, I don't mean he does things. He's always he's faithful and reliable to what he's put in his word. But he doesn't do things that you expect, those things that you project upon him, that you want him to act in a certain way. You want him to do a certain thing. Or you think he should give you an easier life or give your son or daughter an easier life or whatever. God does the unexpected. And he works in his way and his timing and all his ways are just and all his ways are good. It doesn't feel that way sometimes, so you have to just go back to the word of God and trust it. And train yourself that in times of doubt, in, in these storms of life, to trust God. And, and that, that requires faith and training yourself to, to trust the word of God because it is absolutely trustworthy. Well, let me, let me just close this in prayer. Lord, what a profound truth that you are trustworthy. The God of the universe, the all-powerful one. You could do anything you want to do, and yet you've chosen to create, you've chosen to reveal yourself to us for the praise of your glory and for our good. Oh, Lord, help us to, to trust you. Help us to grow in our faith in you and in your word. Lord, to... Um, to trust your word in times of doubt or in the, the storms that sometimes rattle faith. Oh God, I just ask you work in each person's life here to strengthen their faith or to draw them perhaps to saving faith in you for the very first time, that you would awaken them and they would, they would not only just comprehend who you are, but they would they would know who you are by your saving power in their life as they trust in your word. Oh God, just, just magnify yourself through us as a church for your namesake and for our good. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.